Listening is being recorded. Okay. And the story begins. We are all here live, virtually together. And thank God, even the greatest, probably one of the greatest pandemics in, in modern history, um, doesn't separate us and doesn't stop us from Torah study, thanks to modern technology. It's really, it's a big blessing. Imagine being isolated or having to go into isolation without this. It would be crazy. Okay, anyways, we're on the third part of chapter 27. And by the way, if anybody can't hear me, please let me know. We're on the third, or, uh, we're on the third part of chapter 27, bottom of 314 slash 315. What we've been discussing until now. What we've been discussing until now was basically the idea of intrusive thoughts, um, the idea of feelings of shame from being less than perfect, being less than perfect in the sense that I'm getting these intrusive thoughts, what's wrong with me, what kind of person am I? And the Al-Tarebbe said, stop looking at it that way. You're getting intrusive thoughts beyond your control. You have a beautiful opportunity to reject them, to not host them. The fact that you're getting them, okay, you're less than perfect. We'll deal with that in a second. But the fact that you're, but you're getting them, you don't have to host them in your mind, right? The pop-up comes up. You don't have to click on it. You could click X. You could exit it right away. So you have an opportunity to do a mitzvah which is not to astray after your heart and mind, to click X, not to facilitate that pop-up. You have an opportunity to do a mitzvah, don't be sad, be glad. The Al-Tarebbe then said, if a person is sad, it's because their expectations are to be a tzaddik, but maybe to be perfect, to be internally perfect, to be flawless. But maybe our job is not to be flawless. Maybe our job is to, to, to deal with these struggles which God appreciates. God enjoys that. God enjoys the struggle. God enjoys our hard work. He appreciates it. He, right? There's two types of delicacies, we said. There's the naturally sweet foods, and then there's the sharp foods, which require a lot of seasoning and a lot of work. And God likes them both. He likes the tzaddik, the naturally sweet, perfect. But then he likes our type of imperfection. That's the perfection he likes to see sometimes, the imperfections that we have when we deal with it. Now, in today's section, the Al-Tarebbe says, we can cause God great joy, not just through abstaining from negative things, but even, or, or abstaining from prohibited thoughts and prohibited activity, but we can actually cause God joy, and we can actually, by, by abstaining from pleasure, it's a funny concept. Um, it's an important concept. Impulse control. The theme of this section is really just impulse control. What is the difference between the divine soul and the animal soul? What are one of the main differences we thought? Well, the animal soul has this impulse to evil kind of uh, trying to win out, oops, sorry, uh, win out over uh, everything. 
and uh, the divine soul is trying to push away the darkness and uh, uh, its its affinity towards holiness is, is, is trying to be all-encompassing. Okay, so one difference is what their drive is toward, what they're driven toward, right? Okay, good. Any other differences? The uh, divine soul is controlled by the brain, and the animal soul is controlled by the heart. Is that okay, good. Good. Very good. So if we look back in Chapter 9 of Tanya, the animal soul is primarily in the heart. The animal soul is more emotional, more instinctual, impulsive. The divine soul is more intellectual, is more intentional. So when I'm intentional, I'm usually less emotional, right? The mind rules the heart, like the Zohar said. As soon as I feel an impulse for something, as long as I get to my head and I, and, and, and I stop, pause, and, and be intentional and say, wait a minute. I don't need to buy every single roll of toilet paper that ever existed. <laughs> Only half um, of them. What? Only half of them. That will do. Yeah, exactly. I could, I could suffice with 3,000 rolls of toilet paper. That's fine. As soon as I get a little bit more intentional, I don't, that impulse kind of relaxes. Right? The mind rules the heart. The animal soul is impulsive. The divine soul is intentional. So when we don't necessarily give in to our impulse, or at least not right away, we don't act or behave impulsively, this is a really good thing. It's a really holy thing. Acting impulsively does not have to be a bad thing, by the way. We could act, and what the Al-Qadab is arguing here is that being impulsive, it could be something totally permitted, right? I really wanted this Coke zero hold on and there you we go. finished it you finished and it. i finished the coke zero <laughs> but if if i just had to do it i wasn't even thinking i was just impulsive <laughs> it's just impulsive it's not a bad thing but is it a holy thing is it an animal soul, soul thing or is it a divine soul thing if it's impulsive it's an animal soul thing that's who's running me if it's intentional, if it's purposeful, and we, uh, then it's a divine soul thing. And this is something we discussed earlier uh, back in Chapter 7. What type of klipa does it fall under? Let's say it's the middle ground of klipa, something kosher. But what am I using it for? Is it purpose-oriented, divinely oriented, or is it self-oriented? Right? Am I elevating it or am I degrading it? So the Al-Tadeb makes the argument here. Let's take a look on page 315 on the top. First bold paragraph. Um, we have it top of page 315, first bold paragraph. And what is more, the glory and illumination of subduing the Sitra Akhra, another synonym for Klipa, for the negativity, can be achieved not only by resisting sinful activity, but even by resisting things that are totally permissible in Jewish law. It's kosher. There's nothing wrong with it. But is there something right with it? Right? Our whole, we're not just, we don't just exist to make sure we don't do wrong things. Right? It's not just about staying out of trouble. The question is, is there something right with it? Um, if it's impulsive, 
there's not necessarily something right with it as long as you so long as you slaughter your impulse to evil and resist indulgence in a permitted pleasure in, in a permitted pleasure even for a short while even during this time you have an intention of doing the search after the heart's left chamber this goes back to the big debate between Sigmund Freud and Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl believed that what drives a person, what motivates a person is their own pleasure. At the core, every single person is self-centered, self-driven, and basically we're, we're impulsive animals. In Tanya Lingo, we are animal souls. That's our core, that's our essence. Viktor Frankl believed that the core of every single person, what drives a person, is meaning. Right? As he famously writes in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. Because what motivates a person is the why, is the meaning. And the Al-Tadeb is almost urging us to ask us in our everyday behavior, wait a minute, what is motivating us? Is it meaning, or even more important than that, purpose, which we can discuss the difference another time, but I think there's a very important difference. Um, or is what's motivating my own personal pleasure? Is it an animal soul thing, or is it a divine soul thing? It's not a prohibited thing. But what is the motivation behind it? Besides for the activity itself, what is the motivation behind the activity? Make sense? Yeah. It seems, seems, okay. seems like there's like this uh, um, gray line where something moves from uh, something that might be considered impulsive um, or uh, what was the word used? Um, uh, I'm forgetting the word. Uh, like uh, you're doing it because you want to. Um, it, there's this gray line where it's either considered you know, impulsive or you're doing it because you want to, to a point, well, I'm going to use this in a way to elevate myself in my, and in, in how I'm, you know, studying Torah or doing exactly. mitzvah, right? So there's that gray line that, you know, somehow you have to navigate. Exactly. Exactly. I'm going to share the screen here. Um, okay. Can you guys all see the screen? Okay, so we are text one. Can you guys see it? Yes. Okay. Text one is an excerpt from Hayom Yom, the 25th of Adar, of Adar, uh, the second Adar. The Chassid Rabbi Mordechai Hordadakar. Rabbi Mordechai Hordadakar was a Chassid, a disciple of the Al-Tarebbe, the author of the Tanya. He related the first Aphorism, did I pronounce that right, or aphorism? Aphorism. Mm -hmm. Aphorism. aphorism. We, yeah. heard, we heard from the Al-Tarebbe. When we arrived in Liazna, was, the Al-Tarebbe lived in Liazna, and when we, the first thing they heard from the Al-Tarebbe, the first teaching they heard when he arrived in Liazna, what is forbidden is forbidden, no question about it, and what is permitted is unnecessary. Just because I can, does that mean I should, or am I being impulsive? For some three or four years, we labored with this. With this one line that we heard from the Al-Tarebbe, we tried to internalize it 
how do we become intentional, divine, rather than impulsive, animalistic? How do we make that shift? It took three or four years until we integrated this manner of service into various aspects of our lives. They didn't even become tzaddikim. It, it helped different aspects of their lives. They didn't totally transform themselves, right? That's fine. It's a work in process. But only then did we enter into yichidus. Yichidus, yichidut is a, a private audience with the Rebbe to ask for a path in divine service. So there's a lot to learn just from this one text. Number one, the uh, line I, itself. What? I was going to say, um, so folks, just uh, for this, if you right-click on your screen, it, it'll give you an option to zoom in um, if it's kind of small, small text for you. Okay, perfect. Um, so, so number one, just because I can, does that mean I should? Am I being impulsive or am I being intentional? Am I being divine or am I being animalistic? Right, which is the whole theme of Tanya, making that shift. And look, that shift is never going to totally take place. And that's part of the premise of Tanya, that we're never going to be perfect. It's a work in process. Our life is not about making the shift. It's the journey toward making that shift. But we'll try our best. It took several years to integrate that shift into various aspects of their lives. Only then did they start looking for a path, or were they given a path, I should say, um, in, in their service. To God, bravo da. Um, okay, hold on. How do we get back to the screen here? Okay, are we all back? <laughs> okay. The Altsirevim in our chapter gives three examples of impulse control. Impulse control again is the theme of our chapter. The Altsirevim gives three examples. Example number one is on page. 315. I don't know why he gives specifically these three. Um, I, I think the three, the three that he gives is consistent with thought, speech, and action in, um, in that reverse order. He starts off with action. The first example he gives, the middle of 315, the, middle, the second bold paragraph, um, the example of eating. For example, when you want to eat, but you delay the meal for an hour or less, and during that time you study Torah. And he quotes from the Talmud that the scholars would delay their meal to study Torah. They were eating the, for that one hour. They were studying for that one hour. It was the same amount of eating, the same amount of studying, but they would literally just delay it so they cannot be, so that way they're being intentional, not impulsive about their food. Now, does that count as Tanya? What? I'm I'm skipping dinner now for this. <laughs> okay, good. So we have to use this with caution. We have to take this with the grain of salt. Um, it's it's important, by the way. There's a lot of things that Tanya says, and it's really important to learn about all of them, and it's really important to integrate some of them. <laughs> um, when when a person goes to the gym. Learn about all the equipment, learn about how everything, but that doesn't mean you should use all the equipment. Um, everybody has to use the equipment that works for them. Everybody has to have their rabbi, like it says in Pirkei Avot, everybody has to have their mentor that guides them. And that's very important. 
So you, we learn about all the different methods in Tanya and how they apply is going to be up to uh, a discussion between your, you and your personal mentor. Just like at the gym, which exercise equipment are you going to use? That's between you and your coach. Right now we're just learning about the different equipment. How it applies, you have to get your own coach, your own trainer. Um, the reason why I say that is because this particular example has to be used with caution. Yes, we delay gratification so we're not impulsive but we're intentional, but we have to do that carefully. Um, the Rebbe was very clear that we don't, the Chabad approach and the Hasidic approach is not to incur any suffering on ourselves, God forbid. Um, in other words, none of us, we're, we're, we're not suggesting that we sacrifice our physical health, that we sacrifice our, um, our mental health or anything like that. In other words, all of these things should actually make us stronger people, not weaker people. If it's making us weaker as a person, if it's making my spirit weaker, um, I, I, I honestly, I believe that we're doing it wrong. I'll tell you a story. I've told this story before, but I'll say it again. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that because maybe you wouldn't remember. No. <laughs> we only accept new stories, Josh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this so the the yeah, so Rebbe had a chassid that developed a close relationship with him, gave him a gift. He gave him a little tobacco box, like a silver tobacco box. The Altarebbe didn't usually accept the gifts. Um, it was rare for him to accept gifts, but he accepted it. He didn't want to offend the person, maybe, or whatever it was. He, he, he gracefully accepted it. The Altarebbe was not a tobacco smoker or user. And actually, as it relates to our chapter, he said, I don't fully understand this, but it's an interesting statement. He said, there's one organ in the entire body that does not lust. That's the nose. You're trying to ruin that for me. <laughs> I, I missed it. Can you repeat what you just said? There's one organ says, in the body that does not lust. And you're trying to ruin that for me oh, by giving oh. him tobacco. Got it. Um, I don't know what that means because I, I walked by the bakery and I, I'm not sure exactly what he meant. But anyways, but here's the, here's the main point, part of the story. He accepts the gift gracefully. And as the story goes, he takes off the tobacco cover, cover to the box, and he would use it as his mirror for tefillin to make sure his tefillin are aligned. The tefillin has to be on the forehead, above the hairline, right between the eyes. If they're off center, then it's not done properly. A person hasn't put on the tefillin properly. So he would use it as a mirror to make sure that his tefillin are, are done properly. So later on, years later, several generations later, Chassidim told this story to his grandson, the Tzemach Tzedek. They told his grandson that your grandfather, the Al-Tzedeben, was given this tobacco box. He didn't use tobacco. He broke off the top. He would use it as a tefillin mirror. He said, never happened. They said, what are you talking about? We were there. Of course it happened. He said, it didn't happen. What do you mean it didn't happen? We were there. You weren't. We're telling you the story, what we saw. He said, no, my grandfather would never break off the top of anything. My grandfather didn't break anything. He built. 
It must be that he didn't break off the top. There was some sort of hinge. He removed the hinge, and that's what, and that's how he turned it into a mirror. So he built a mirror. He didn't break it into a mirror. My grandfather doesn't break. He builds. The Alter Rebbe, with his Tanya and his whole life, was not about breaking people. It's about building people. So the impulse control that we're trying to develop here is sure to build us, not break us. If it's breaking us, we're doing it wrong. If it's building us, now that might come with a little bit of soreness. You go to the gym, and if you walk out with broken muscles, that's a problem. If you walk out with sore muscles, that's okay, because you'll get strong, and you'll stretch it out, and you'll be good. Make sense? Yep. I'll tell you another story. Um, the Rebbe Rashab, the Rebbe Rashab, Rabbi Sh- but Rabbi Shalom Dovber was the fifth Rebbe of the Chabad dynasty, the Chabad movement. So there was the previous Rebbe, the Rebbe's father-in-law. His father was known as the Rebbe Rashab. He had a brother, Reb Zalman. Reb Zalman was a wise man in his own right, and people would seek his counsel, apparently. And there was this one chassid who wanted to be extra holy and would overdo this statement here. Um, right, delaying gratification and not eating so he could be all holy. So, he got, so he's not impulsive, rather intentional. But he was overdoing it. But Zalman didn't approve. And he said, I'll, tell, I'll give you a parable. He says, you have a city that is totally that that so you have the leader of a city or some sort of a government official or a rabbi whatever it is he leaves his post he retires he moves somewhere else somebody takes his place he comes back and when he comes back he sees the city is all built up it's beautiful how did you do this so he said i i the leader of the the new leader says oh i impose a huge tax on everybody if you're poor you're going to if you're wealthy, sorry, you're going to have to pay this huge tax. If you're poor, you're also going to have to pay this huge tax. He said, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. You have this huge built city, but people can't benefit from it. Definitely not the poor people, which is usually the majority of the population. You need to charge tax, not one equal tax, but according to a person's income, according to what they can handle. So this is the parable. The analogy. What is the analog? He said, "Your your whole body. You're charging tax on your body, so you can build yourself up. Certain parts of your body can handle more. Certain parts of your body can't handle as much. So when it comes to what you hear, when it comes to what you see." You know, you could incur a big tax because certain things we shouldn't be hearing, certain things we shouldn't be seeing. But when it comes to your health, (coughs) excuse me, when it comes to your physical health, you can't put in, you can't give such a big tax. You know, you have to eat. You have to be healthy. You can't put in such a big tax. You have to lower the taxes, right? Your mouth is poor, lower the taxes. So yes, the Alfred Evans says we have to, uh, to delay gratification even when it comes to eating. (laughs) <laughs> this should not come at the expense of our health. On the contrary, uh, and, and really, the way we know if we're doing any of this right 
becoming intentional rather than impulsive is if we're being if it's making us stronger rather than weaker emotionally stronger spiritually mentally and even physically stronger more energetic <coughs> the other two examples that the Altadeva gives uh, again bottom of uh, 315 so too if you hold back your mouth from saying something permitted about world and matter that your heart really wants to say it also suppresses the sitra akhra. So just because I want to say something doesn't mean I have to. And again, we're not talking about saying something prohibited. We're not talking about slander and gossip, because that for sure shouldn't be said. Slander and gossip shouldn't be said. We're not, so we're not even talking about that. We're talking about just saying something impulsively, just being impulsive as a person. The first example was food. The second example was speech. The third example that he gives is thought. <coughs> which is on the top of 316. Just because something comes to mind doesn't mean I impulsively have to think about it. I could think about it. It's not prohibited, but is it holy? Is it my divine soul or is it my animal soul? Who am I facilitating? Who am I allowing in my head? Okay, I'm not allowing dirt in my head. Good. But am I allowing something holy in my head? Am I being intentional? Am I being impulsive? Which soul am I living from? Again, these are really, if we think about it, these are really high levels to achieve. It really is a high level to achieve. That's very funny, but I have to say something impulsively. The first thing that comes to mind is the, the food thing. At work, back home, I used to work at a hospital. And the people... If you actually waited one minute, they'd all walk out with the food. So there was nothing left. So if you were doing your work and you'd finish first or you won't be, you'd be deprived of eating, <laughs> you know? So, Interesting. So, and it's all the thoughts, which is actually a negative. So you'd actually decide, are you going to eat or you're not going to eat? So your negative thoughts would come there, but it's all, the, it's the animal soul. So you kind of, if you're a good person, then you'd actually... Wait, let the people eat because they're obviously really hungry and see if there's anything left, you get something. There we go. Yeah. Kind of all links together. But your thoughts are you're not going to get anything anyway, so don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is I, I, I experienced a similar thing with, with davening. Like if, if I'm at shul and say sometimes there's a male, like we have kiddish or something, but I'm very slow with my davening. So when we get to the end of the davening, Sometimes everybody's ready to rush to the kiddush meal, and I'm still having to finish. And I, I often have this temptation, well, I can maybe do this davening later. I'll get the meal, and then I'll finish. But I, I tell myself, no, I resist that temptation. Finish the davening. Maybe there'll be less food left. Particularly Yom Kippur, Kippur just happens to break the fast. <laughs> That's always hard. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, with the, the option you admire. What? The auctioneer Mariv. Auctioneer Mariv. The world's quickest oh, yeah, yeah, Mariv. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great example. That's a great example. Um, and, and again, none of these are prohibited. The Torah doesn't explicitly prohibit. Uh, I mean, we'll talk about it more, what, what the biblical prohib, um, perspective is on this. <laughs> but from a spiritual perspective, you know, it's times of panic like this and the coronavirus 
where people's personalities really come out. Am I living from the divine self or my animal self? How much toilet paper am I hoarding? How much, there was a stabbing at Sam's Club a few days ago over water. There's no shortage of water. They were fighting over bottles of water. Somebody stabbed somebody in the store. <laughs> it's crazy. Similarly, there was a fight in Australia over toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just crazy. I'll, I'll tell you what I saw on Facebook today. Somebody from our community, which, it was, uh, which I thought was beautiful. It was a picture of a bunch of paper towel rolls. He said, we have, we have extra paper towel rolls. There's a shortage. Who needs? Please let me know. It's very intentional. It's not impulsive. That's a divine soul thing. That's not an animal soul thing. I thought it was beautiful. Amongst all the chaos, the, 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 uh, the chaos, amongst all the, yeah, you just go to the supermarket and people are just panicking, freaking out. Like you go to Walmart, you just see everybody. <laughs> so people offering to buy uh, groceries for the elderly. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as we think about somebody else, it, 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 all of a sudden it's our divine soul kicking in because it takes us being intentional. I saw, I saw on Facebook somebody had sent her husband to the shop to buy food. And he got to the front after this long, long line. And when, when he was in the front, the, um, he had forgotten his wallet and somebody paid for this whole like, shop. It wasn't a lot, but it was, um, it was very intentional and beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. I'm just getting some water. My throat's getting dry. Not Corona, don't worry. Wait, you have. They <laughs> have water. It's a fight for it. <laughs> Let's take it outside. <laughs> How is uh, Musia, by the way? She was getting a cold last week. Yeah, she's much better. Good. Thank God. Good. Yeah, Good. she had a hard time, but she's really much better. Thank God. Good. Thank God. Okay. Now, our next question. So I have my impulse control. What do I gain from being, from controlling my impulse? Not eating impulsively, but intentionally. Not thinking or speaking impulsively, or not living impulsively, but intentionally. So besides that, I'm living for my divine soul, but what do I gain from this? What are the effects that this has on ourselves, on the world? Well, it's, uh, it's pleasing to God. Okay, good. And, and uh, God bestows upon us uh, additional strength, additional okay, energy to uh, intentionally uh, serve Hashem. Okay, good, good. So that's the, so. There's number one. It's pleasing to God. Number two, it makes us stronger people. We'll talk about all uh, all these things. And then there's a third one, though. Did anybody catch the third one? It's kind of slipped in there. Third one. The third one is it's a mitzvah. Oh yeah. <laughs> besides for all of us, besides what it does for us, what it does for God, God wants it. <laughs> cares why <laughs> or what? <laughs> I'm kidding. Not who cares, but 
Um, so we'll talk about all these three things. Number one, it's pleasing to God. Let's take a look on the top of 316, the second bold paragraph. Um, or whatever. Yeah, a bold-ish paragraph. The second paragraph on the page. As a result of subduing Sitra Akhra below, and we subdue our impulse, negativity, food delaying or resisting permitted pleasures, the glory and holiness of the Blessed Holy One ascends abundantly on high. God is floating on cloud nine, so to speak. <laughs> when we demonstrate that we are in His image, we are not animals, but we are divine. We are not impulsive, we are intentional. We are reflecting Him. That's number one. Number two, like you said, Mike, it, um, it actually makes us stronger. So let's take a look on, we'll jump down a little bit, uh, two paragraphs down. So it's the fourth paragraph on the page. Question first. Yeah, go for it. So what if, what if um, so you said it, it makes us stronger, but what if uh, by um, delaying, for example, say the impulse to uh, have a meal or or even ha have a thought it's distracting you from what you are trying to do. Like say you're in the middle of studying Torah, you keep thinking about the food or you keep trying to keep these thoughts out of mind. Or... Um, it it kind of depends. You have to assess, is the food going to propel my Torah study? Or am I being in, am I being impulsive, or is it necessary? It might be necessary. That's that's the gray line I was talking about. Yeah, exactly. It is gray it line. is a fuzzy area. Well, just, gray you know, line, gray well, area. Gray line, gray line. Got it. Yeah. I, we have to assess honestly. We have to be. It just boils out to being honest with ourselves. Am I being impulsive, or am I being intentional? Well, like we before we daven in the morning. Habad, it's I learned recently that it's actually okay to eat. We should eat. Is that going with this or so so, so that's so a similar exactly. So that would be it would have to be done intentionally, not impulsively. So I'll give you so the story behind that, John, you know the story I think, but we'll share the story because it's it's important and it's very relevant to what we're discussing here. Traditionally in Judaism, it's, it says in Shulchan Aruch that you're not in the code of Jewish law that you're not supposed to eat before davening, before prayer in the morning. And the reason is, it's considered uh, a level of arrogance, taking care of my own needs before communing with God. There was the Rebbe, I think it was the Rebbe's grandmother. I forgot which Rebbe it was. It was Rebbe Rivka. She was very um, strict about not eating before davening. She would wake up early in the morning. She would daven. She would eat. She had a serious health condition. I don't know what it was, but the doctors told her that she had to eat first thing in the morning, early in the morning. So what she did was she said, okay, I'll wake up super early, even earlier. I'll daven and then I'll eat at the time that the doctor told me to, do, to, to eat. So instead of eating at whatever time, instead of davening at whatever time she would normally daven and then eat afterwards, she had to eat earlier so she would have to daven earlier. 
because she didn't want to eat before davening. Her husband or father, I don't remember the details of the story, saw what she was doing and said, I disapprove. Because right now, you're just davening so you could eat. And it's better to eat so you could daven, to give you the energy to daven, rather than just daven so you get it out of the way so you can go eat. In that situation, and, that, and that's really the approach we take these days, that if it's going to service our relationship with God, it's a very good thing, it's a very holy thing, and, the, and why, why abstain? You can make it holy. Right? But if it's going to... But if I don't need to eat it, I'm not really hungry and I'm just, then why not wait till after davening and show that I'm intentional, not impulsive? It kind of depends on the situation. But if a person is hungry and he chooses to eat before davening in order to give vitality to his davening and energy, it's a, it's a very holy thing. It's not an impulsive thing. It doesn't have to be, I should say. Isn't it actually, you, you should eat even... You're not, if you're not craving food, you should eat just because in case in the middle of davening, you you'll get hungry. Yeah, and then you'll end up davening in order to eat. <laughs> now your prayers become centered around getting it over with rather than actually being in the moment. Happens to me exactly. right before the Kiddush. <laughs> <laughs> now, when we exercise impulse control in a way that, in a, play, in a way that is appropriate, it makes us stronger people. Let's take a look at the fourth paragraph on page 316. Um, and as a result of God's holiness ascending on high from your delayed gratification, some supernal, supernal holiness is drawn from this abundant source down to you below. When we give God this gratification of being intentional rather than impulsive, this energy comes back to us to provide you with plentiful and powerful assistance in your worship to God. So sometimes we feel weak, and the solution to feeling weak is demonstrate the strength, and you'll get the strength. Does that make sense? How yeah. can I ever resist? I'm, how can I be less impulsive? I'm an impulsive person. That's my nature. The Alter Rebbe says, no. Show God that you are intentional deep down inside, that you do have a divine soul. Give him that gratification, and some of that will illuminate you and give you more intent, more, more power. And look what he says in the next paragraph. We'll jump to the next bold paragraph. And this is how our sages of blessed memory explain the verse. Sanctify yourselves, and you will become holy. When a person sanctifies himself to a small extent below, he will be sanctified a great deal from above. Just be a little bit holy, just a little bit. A little bit of impulse control. Let's exercise a minute amount and we'll see how strong it really makes us. When you go to a, a gym, what you put in is what you get. But over here in the spiritual gym, you're going to get a lot more than you actually put in. So is self-control or self-control is sanctification? Self-control yeah. makes you holy? Exactly. Because what does the word holy mean? Kadosh, we say in Hebrew. What does Kadosh mean? What does holy mean? The word holy means to be separate, to separate ourselves. 
separate ourselves from negativity, to separate ourselves from um, being an animal, right? When a, when a person is separated from an animal, he's holy, right? People say he's holier than thou. They mean that condescendingly, but what does that mean, he, right? He's on the high horse. He's separated. Now, this doesn't mean we should separate ourselves socially from people and, and ruin our relationships. On the contrary, this should improve our relationships. Because if we have this shift, even to a small degree, being more um, divine soul rather than animal soul, as we'll discuss more and elaborate more in Chapter 32, what's the other that the divine soul and an animal soul? Because that's the prison in which we do life from. So that's how we'll see others. It should improve our relationships. Otherwise, we're not doing it right. But being holy means to be separated, separating ourselves from from animal, uh, from being an animal, from being um, uh, um, impulsive. And when we do this, even to a small degree, God helps us. Um, let's take a look. Let's take a look on 317, second bold paragraph. You see it? And the yeah. phrase. And the phrase, sanctify yourselves, right? Become holy. Clearly refers to the Benini, to the struggler, to the person who's imperfect, not to the tzaddik. So you can't argue and say, hey, be holy. That's for the holy people. No, because the holy people are already holy. They don't need to be commanded to be holy. Since it implies that you ought to achieve something that you don't already have, you must bring sancti uh, a sanctity upon yourself. In other words, even though you are not actually holy, which is fine. We're not actually holy. We're not actually separated from our animal soul. That is our default self, and that's okay. Nor removed from the sitra akhra, which is in the left part of the heart. Rather, eliminate the impulse to evil. You control its influence and sanctify yourself through that which is permissible. And when we practice this, let's look down at the next bottom paragraph, you will become holy. <laughs> Ultimately, you'll be holy and genuinely detached from Klippot and Sitchafu from negativity. The more we practice this, the more we'll experience it. The more we practice impulse control, even though we're not truly fully in control because we're not tzaddikim, the more control we will gain. Make sense? Yeah. Now there's the third um, accomplishment. This is on the top of 317. We went out of order here, but that's totally fine. Fulfilling the positive Torah commandment. Sanctify yourself. When we sanctify ourselves, besides what it does for us, we get the satisfaction of giving God pleasure. We get the satisfaction of being stronger, more intentional people. We're also fulfilling the divine will. We're doing a mitzvah. There's a mitzvah for men to put on tefillin. There's a mitzvah for women to light the Shabbat candles. There's a mitzvah for everybody to eat matzah on Passover. And there's a mitzvah to be holy, to try to separate ourselves from our animal selves and try to be the real you. Are we ever going to get there? Are we ever going to be a tzaddik? Let's not focus on that. Let's just focus on the journey. The journey is to try our best to be old. Hmm. 
what this essentially is saying, the purpose of all this, again, is just that shift. This is really the, this is really in line with the whole theme of Tanya. The theme of Tanya, the entire Tanya, as I said on the, on the title page, all the way back in the beginning. This matter is very close with you, to you. A relationship with God is very close to you. A God we don't see, a God we don't feel, a God we can't touch, a God, right? And especially in this confusing world, we don't know what's going on. But we could still have a relationship with God when we discover him within ourselves. And what that takes is a paradigm shift. Shifting from our animal selves, from being impulsive to our divine selves, to being intentional. The means of making that shift is right here at the end of this chapter. Practice. Practice being intentional and less impulsive. And the more we practice it, God helps us, the more we'll feel it, the more we'll be it. And, if, and the Al-Tareb, as we said earlier in the chapter, don't beat ourselves up if we don't make it. Because it's just, the journey itself is so valuable. Make sense? Yeah. Comments, thoughts, controversy? I don't think I've ever heard a, a, an explanation of sanctifying yourself before in all my years of being a Jew. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, you, you need to do the mitzvahs, mitzvot, but um, you could still be a bad person, do lots of mitzvot and be a bad person if you still commit bad acts. And this is saying it's not just enough. You need to separate yourself. You separate yourself from those impulses to sanctify yourself. And I, I would anticipate that when you say sanctify yourself, this you know this chapter is just one way of sanctifying yourself. I imagine there are many others to be discussed in you know this this book in terms of ways to sanctify yourself. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. In other words, the method of making that shift from from divine from animal soul to divine soul, the method here is impulse control. It's being more intentional. And God helps us. There are other there are other methods as well. This is more of the behavioral approach. There's the cognitive approach that Tanya gives. This is more of a behavioral approach, if you will. Yeah. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Thank you. All right. I will stop the recording here and we can continue to talk. So most everybody is